the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster we present Let the Bible Speak. It's good to have you join us today as we spend time around the Word of God, preaching Christ in all His fullness to men and women in all their need. Let me bid you welcome to this broadcast from Let the Bible Speak, and we trust the Lord will bless your heart tonight as you meet with us. 
Let's bow for prayer. Let's seek the face of Almighty God. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the truths which we've been singing about already this evening. Lord, we rejoice that we have a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. We have a friend that has promised, I will never leave Thee nor forsake Thee. Lord, we rejoice in the promise, when Thou passest through the waters, I will be with Thee. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Word of God, we pray Thou wouldst bless us. O Lord, let us hear the speaking voice of God. Today we pray, bless us and do us good, we ask. Draw us closer to the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Bible reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, uh, we'll take up the reading at verse 25. God's Word says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 33. And we trust and pray the Lord will bless the public reading of his precious, wonderful word. We're turning to the hymn 500. The hymn 500, Take the World, but Give Me Jesus. That wonderful hymn of Fanny Crosby, and we'll stand for the singing of the hymn.
I want to thank the Reverend Moffat for leading the meeting for us this evening. That's been much appreciated. I want to look at this passage that's been read to us this evening from Luke 14. And I want to speak upon the cost of discipleship. On a gravestone in an old cemetery in Cairo, the following message is written. A man in Christ, he arose and forsook all and followed him. Kindly affectionate with brotherly love, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, instant in prayer, communicating the necessity of saints, in honor preferring others, apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. These are the words written to sum up the life of a 25-year-old American man called William Borden. Raised in a wealthy family, Borden forsook that vast fortune to go and reach lost Muslims for Christ in the land of China. Many remarked that this would be throwing away his life in doing such a thing. On his way to China, he stopped off in Egypt to learn his new language. But within a month, he was dead, having contracted spinal meningitis. Every American newspaper reported on it, and most called it a tragedy. But William Borden had counted the cost and found that living for Christ was worth any price to be paid. He is famous for those words that were supposedly written in his Bible. No reserve after renouncing his future to go to the mission field. No retreat after his father had told him upon his decision to go to the mission field that he'd never work for the family business again. And then finally, no regret. Just weeks before, his life passed away in the land of Egypt. His focus had been on heavenly treasure. He had an eternal perspective. His, as was on his gravestone, he forsook all and followed Christ. In these verses before us this evening, Christ sets forth what it means to be a true disciple And people will gladly substitute activity, ritual, religion, professions, anything to avoid the demands of Christ. Yet the clear clarity of the command leaves no doubt in our mind what it means to be his disciple. There is a cost, a great cost. And contrary to what is generally taught, as we read in these verses here, Christ's years of ministry were not characterized by large multitudes coming out to hear him. Yes, it was that way at the beginning, specifically when Christ first began to heal the the, the multitude and, and to feed them. And many people followed for those miracles. But then the Lord acknowledged in John 6 and 26, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. And then, and then a, sh- a shift took place. These multitudes actually began listening to what the Savior was saying. And as they did, his words offended many of them. In John 6, verse 60, we read there, Many therefore his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Then in verse 66 of the same chapter, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This is why Christ exhorted the multitudes of his day here in Luke 14 in the verse 27 and 28. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, 
cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? If we would be true disciples of the Lord, we must be willing to count the cost. And the Lord was not impressed of those who followed him for a little time, but only interested in being entertained. He was only interested in making genuine disciples, those that would carry the gospel to the four corners of this world, to every tongue, to every tribe, people, and nation. The sad thing today is that many misguided preachers pull verses out of context and try to convince people that the mild, soft-spoken, tolerant, sensitive to people's feelings, Jesus would never speak harshly, never speak negatively to people. He would seek to build them up, to, to stroke their ego. But as we have read, most of his teaching focused on those hard truths, communicated by hard, blunt, and even sometimes offending words. His own disciples even complaining that his teaching was too hard. Franz Havner, the American preacher, gives great insight when he says, We have put the demands of discipleship in fine print for fear that we will scare off the prospects. But in this passage, the Savior puts the demands, the cost of discipleship, the cost of fully following the Lord in big, bold print, that no one will be misguided, that no one will misunderstand. We want to speak on the cost of discipleship. Firstly, I want you to notice the cost of discipleship means devotion. In verse 26, the Lord says, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds extreme, very extreme. But it's obvious just, just a cursory look at these verses that the key word to note here is the word hate. Let me say, God's word never contradicts itself. One book of the Bible does not contradict another book of the Bible. And we know that hate cannot be in the sense of detest or to loathe. There are several reasons why we can say that. We can think of Exodus 20 and the verse 12, how the Lord commands us to honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And therefore, if hate meant to loathe or detest or abhor, that certainly would rule out honoring father and mother. Then we think of Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Again, this hate Jesus spoke of cannot mean to loathe your wife. Or Titus 2 verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Therefore, the Lord has commanded us to love our family, even commanded us to love our enemies. Therefore, the word hate here in Luke 14, 26 is not a word of emotion. Rather, it is a word of comparison. In comparison to our love and devotion to Christ, even the dearest relationship of our lives are to be like hate. The word hate is used in the sense of to love less. A parallel verse to Luke 14, 26 is Matthew 10, 37. He that love a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that love of son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And when we compare these verses, we find the opposite of hating family is loving family more than Jesus. Perhaps you're saying, oh, I'm relieved. I'm glad it's not as extreme as you have made it sound at first. 
but not so fast because the Lord is saying that it is extreme. Let me give you a quote from one of the early church fathers, St. Jerome. He said this, If Christ should bid me go this way, and my mother did hang about my neck to draw me another, and my father were in my way, bowing at my knees with tears, entreating me not to go, and my children plucking at my skirt should seek to pull me the other way. I must unclasp my mother. I must push to the very ground my father and put aside my children, for I must follow Christ. I must follow Christ. And our loyalty, our love, and our devotion to the Lord is to be so deep, so strong, that every other loyalty, every other love and devotion peels into insignificance in comparison. Notice also verse 26, who else we are to love less than him, yea, and his own life also. You see, following Christ as his disciple often means hardship, being deprived of basic needs, being persecuted, facing pain and suffering, and even death. We are to love him with such a great love that we go into danger and hardship without even hesitating. Well, make no mistake, friend. Our love for him is so strong, so compelling, so consuming that it overrules all of the loves in our life. Allow me to give you another illustration of this supreme devotion the Savior is speaking of. The Puritan John Bunyan, who is best known for writing Pilgrim's Progress, was told by the authorities to, to stop preaching. He answered, I, I cannot quit preaching because God has called me to preach. And the authorities said, if you don't stop preaching, you will end up in prison. Bunyan had a wife, family. And one of his children was a little girl, a little blind girl that he loved very, very dearly. And what a dilemma for this man of God. He could disobey Christ and he could care for his family. Or he could obey Christ and not be able to care for his family. And especially that little blind girl. What would this man do? This is exactly the situation the Lord is speaking of here in Luke 14 and 26. And Don Bunyan had such a love for Christ that with a broken heart he continued to proclaim the gospel. He went to prison. And yes, God cared for and provided for his family. Yes, they went through hardships, but God provided for them. It was in prison, he wrote, Pilgrim's Progress, which has been a blessing to millions ever since. However, I want you to catch a glimpse of the agony this caused John Bunyan. Listen, listen to his own words. The parting with my wife and poor children has often been to me in this place as a pulling off my flesh from my bones. And that not only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies, but also because I should have often brought to my mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family was like to meet with, should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I have besides. Oh, the thought of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under would break up my heart to pieces. But yet, recalling myself, thought I, I must venture you all with God. Though it go off to the quick to leave you, oh, I saw in this condition I was a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and family. Yet, thought I, I must do it. I must do it. Listen again to what Christ says in Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, 
he cannot be my disciple. Notice, secondly, the cost of discipleship means death. Verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, it's difficult in our culture to understand how extreme this verse sounded to those who heard the Savior speak these words. For us, a cross is something that, that people display and even people wear, even non-Christians wear crosses. But in the Lord's day, the cross was the hated symbol of Roman oppression and cruelty. It was an instrument of torture. There's nothing glamorous about a cross. Galatians 3.13, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And we think of our blessed Redeemer who died for sinners was cursed in our place that we might be forgiven. And crosses were associated with only one thing, and that was dying. Christ was saying, take up the instrument of death and die and follow me, or you cannot be my disciple. In the Lord's day, the crowds didn't stand in line to die upon a cross. And they still don't today stand in line to come to church to be told they need to die. And yet the Lord spoke these words over and over again. Matthew 10, 38, Matthew 16, 34, Mark 8, 34. You see, your cross is not a sickness or, or some circumstance you find yourself in. Your cross is something you choose to take up and die on. What is the Lord speaking of here? Well, first it means a resignation to physical death. You think of Paul, remember when Paul was in Phoenicia and Agabus warned him not to go to Jerusalem because if he went there, the Roman authorities would take him and take his life. And yet Paul was convinced with the following of God that this was how he was meant to, to go. Acts 21, 13. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is an example of a disciple who has taken up his cross and considered himself as already dead in his obedience to Christ. We hear him say, in Philippians 1 and 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Second, there must be death to self-centered desires and goals, ambitions, and our ways. A, a Christ-filled life is a self-emptied life. George Muller was asked the secret of his success as supernatural life in Christ. And he said there was a day when George Muller died. I died to George Muller. His opinions, his preferences, his tastes and his will died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then I've studied only to show myself approved unto God. A die unto self. And then third, there's the taking up the cross that involves the reckoning on the truth that our old man in Adam died of Christ when we were identified of Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. Paul writes Romans 6, verse 6, Knowing this, that your old man is crucified of him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So let's put this all together. If we're going to be his disciple then we must be willing to die physically if we're called upon to do so, as hundreds and thousands will be in this world even this year. We must be willing to, to die to self, anything that's self-generated or self-centered that does not draw us closer to Christ. We must die to it. Then finally, we die daily by reckoning on our true identity to Christ and the freedom from sin slavery that is ours because we have died in Him. We're now ready to follow Him whatever the cost 
wherever he may lead. One final thought, the cost of discipleship means deliberation. Here in verses 28 to 33, the Lord, it seems here, is trying to, to talk these people out of following him. He gives this illustration of building a tower and going to meet someone in war. And before you start that building project, you, you, you count the cost. You, you make sure you have everything that you just don't start the building, but you're able to finish it. And then before you go to war, there is that evaluation that you have what it takes to be victorious, that you're going to win. And here's the point. Following Christ is difficult. There is a cost. It means being countercultural. It means being harassed, rejected, going through tribulation, and even possibly dying for him. And we don't treat it lightly. J.C. Ryle said, Christ had no desire to swell the number of his followers by admitting soldiers who had failed in the hour of need. Oh, how different this is to modern evangelism. How many come to the Lord for life enhancement instead of coming to be delivered from spiritual bondage and death and being willing to die for Christ. It's quite obvious that all of this flies in the face of all the world counts wise or even valuable or even what modern Christianity advertises itself as. Yet Christ knew this. And he said in Matthew 16, 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What he's saying here is, the reward outweighs the cost. Yes, the cost must be faced. And as one commentator put it, salvation is so valuable that if receiving it as a gift involved us in the loss of everything else, we should be foolish indeed not to accept that loss. Again, listen to the words of Christ in verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is the call of discipleship. There is a cost, but appeals into insignificance when balanced against the eternal reward. And what award, reward awaits us in glory. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. The cost of discipleship. Are you willing to pay the cost for Christ? I trust you are for his name's sake. Amen. Let's close our meeting in a word of prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the challenge of thy word, what it means to be a disciple of thine. Lord, there is a great cost to pay, but we thank you most of all for the Savior who paid the sin debt for our sin. He paid the price in full. He has paid the cost. And Lord, we thank you that through him we can be forgiven and we can be made a disciple of Christ. O oh Lord, help us in our life to live fully for the Lord. Help us to hold nothing back. Help us to be sold out for our precious Redeemer. O oh, bless thy word to our souls this evening. Encourage thy people. Save the lost. We pray it all in our Saviour's precious name. Amen. Thank you for spending some time with us today around the Word of God. For further information, visit our website at ltbs.tv. We look forward to joining with you next time as we seek to let the Bible speak once again.